0: Good morning. My name is Pastor Ryan Mallon. I would like to thank you for joining us this morning at Church of the Atonement for our virtual worship service. We are so glad that you are joining us for this hour of worship. And uh, if this is your first time with us this morning, we'd like to thank you for being a part of this fellowship. We'd love to know this is your first time. If you could send us a a message through email, you can send us a note at info at atonementlife.org. Or you can leave us a note in the comments on Facebook. We'd love to find a way that we can get in touch with you and uh, welcome you and get you in the loop of our communications here at Church of the Atonement. Uh, I do want to uh, start with a couple of announcements and then move to a time of prayer as we move into our worship service. The first announcement uh, is I want to say thank you to everyone who brought items for our mom's uh, food drive yesterday that was sponsored by uh, the women's ministry here at Church of the Atonement. So thank you if you took time to come out uh, in your day and and uh, offer items and If you went out of your way to purchase or gather items from friends and family or from the grocery store, thank you for doing that. That was a a major um, way to support our community, and we're very thankful for everyone who uh, was able to participate in that. Thank you, Women's Ministry, for putting that on and giving us an opportunity to uh, be a part of ministry happening here in Montgomery County. The other thing I'd like to do is uh, let everyone know that this week you should be receiving, uh, most of you, an email, and some of you, if you don't have access to email, uh, a letter uh, with some very, very important information on it uh, that you are going to want to have. So, just to put that in your uh, awareness, you're going to be receiving a very important email. If you're not getting our emails, if you don't have our communications, um, then you wanna sign up for that. And you can do that by going to our home page on our website, scroll halfway down and there's a form you can fill out to subscribe to our email list. We'd love to keep you in the loop about some important things that are going to be uh, announced this coming week. With that, would you please pray with me as we turn our hearts and our attention to the Lord in this hour of worship. Father, we come to be fed, to be strengthened, but ultimately to worship you, to give you glory and honor, to praise your name, to remember how wonderful you are, how worthy you are, and to celebrate together as your family, your majestic worth. We pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to sing and to focus and to listen to rejoice. Keep our minds and hearts from wandering in anxiety or worry or stress. Help us to truly Sabbath and rest this day, knowing that all things are in your hands. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: The word of God is powerful. By the word of God, he created the earth, all the planets, all the stars. By the word of God, God calls a people out of darkness to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, God calls his church to gather to worship through the word. Hear the call to worship from God Almighty from Psalm 95. Oh, come. Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Brothers and sisters, let's sing to the Lord now. Let's sing together, a mighty fortress is our God.
2: The prince of darkness grim We tremble not for him His rage we can endure For low his doom is ashore. One little word ¡Suscríbete
1: For the ability and the opportunity to sing his praises to him. Now we come to a time of confession. Confession of our transgressions. How we have broken God's law. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father. We bow this morning before your great majesty. For you are the only God. And you are good. We recognize and we confess our faults, they are many. Too often we give our hearts away to idols. Too often our loves are distorted. We confess this morning. Take a moment and talk to the Lord, confess to him. Father, make us so to feel our faults, that we are led to true repentance. Father, work in us so that we may not seek anything except to serve and honor you in Christ Jesus, our Lord, your Son and our Savior. Father, be pleased to bear with our weaknesses and pardon us for the many vices which still remain. Father, we thank you for your patience and grace and mercy. Purge us, Holy Spirit, purge us from worthless loves. Continue the work of grace, Father, by your Holy Spirit and draw our loves to you. God, you are the great physician. Heal your people. From the love of sin and darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God gives us assurance that our sins are forgiven through Christ. Through the love of God for people like us. The assurance of pardon comes from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord. While he may be found call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that the Lord may have compassion on him and to our God for God will abundantly pardon. Amen. I want to thank you all for continuing to give and so into the Lord's ministry. Let's pray now and thank God for his provision. Lord, you allowed the sun to rise this morning on the just and on the unjust. You allowed us to take in a new breath for a new day. And Lord, as we come this morning, we acknowledge that everything we have comes from you. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for the provision that only you can supply. Lord, we give you honor, and we pray that you continue to supply to your people, provide for their homes, and provide for your kingdom work. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's continue in worship. Lord, have mercy.
3: This is a song of confession. We ask you to make it the prayer of your hearts as you listen. There's a familiar chorus that comes around several times. It's the Kyrie of the Mass. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy on us. Uh, and I invite you to sing that when it comes around. 10.
0: Thank you, worship team. Now, before you go, guys, I actually am going to, I didn't ask them before I was going to do this, but I would like to borrow you for a second for this children's message. Good morning, boys and girls. I hope you're doing well this morning. Um, So today for our children's message, I'm going to ask our worship team to help us with a a little activity, and hopefully you can uh, play along with us as we have a little fun this morning. So first thing I want you to do is I want you to take some time and talk with your parents just a, a minute. I want you to tell your parents when you go to the zoo, what is your favorite animal? Okay. So when you go to the zoo, what is your favorite animal? Ready? Go. What's your favorite animal?
2: Elephant.
0: An elephant, lion. a lion, a lion. Okay. All right. Hopefully you had enough time to talk about your favorite animal. Mr. Luke said his favorite animal to see when he goes to the zoo is a lion. And that is my favorite animal. To go see. Now, one time uh, I got to go see a lion, and I always try to get lions to roar. I don't know when you go to the zoo if you try to see the lions, but when you do, what are they usually doing? They're usually asleep. They're usually laying there asleep. Sometimes they'll walk around, right? The lions are walking around, but you almost never get to hear them roar, and that's what we want, right? We want to hear them roar. We want to hear their big, booming voice. And so I always try to get. The lion to roar. You know how you do that? Sometimes you have to start making the sounds that they make. And so I went to the zoo with my family one time when we were in Pittsburgh, and I started making the noise to the lion. I started going, oh. Oh, 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 oh. Let me hear you do that. Come on, worship team, you can help me out here. (laughs) Right. So I was standing there making this noise, and my family started getting red. They were all embarrassed because I'm standing there making this noise, and all of a sudden, the lion starts making the noise. Oh, and everybody starts crowding around. They couldn't believe the lion was really talking. I felt a lot better about myself. But people were far away, and they started hearing this lion, and we're coming to see, you know, the lion make the noise and hear him roar. Well, in our passage today, Peter, thank you, worship team, you guys can go down, thanks for your help. Uh, if you, in our passage today, Peter talks about a lion, but he's not talking about a real lion, he's trying to warn God's people, you and me, trying to warn us that we need to be careful, that we need to know that there is an enemy after us, and he's out there. Just like a lion is out there, you can hear him roaring. Now, he doesn't mean we can really hear this enemy roaring. Did you know that a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away? Five miles away, they can hear it. So even when you can't see that there's a lion out there, you can know that there's a lion out there. His presence can be heard from a long way off. And what Peter is saying, there is an enemy of God's people who wants God's people to come away from where God is. That enemy is out there. He's prowling around. He's looking to attack and hurt God's children, to hurt us, to make us think that we don't need God. And when he has us alone, he's going to try to trick us with everything he's got. He's like a lion roaring He's out there. Peter wants us to be aware of that. Sometimes when we go throughout our life, we don't really feel like there's someone out there trying to trick us or deceive us or make us think and, and not believe that what God says is true. But the Bible is filled with instances where God's people are fooled into thinking that God really doesn't mean what he says and they end up hurting themselves or hurting others because they don't believe what God says. So it's good for us to listen to what peter says here that that our adversary our enemy the devil is like a lion who's roaring and waiting to devour christians you ever saw a lion get around and devour a little gazelle it's not a pretty picture and we need to understand that it is <laughs> i made pastor terrence laugh with that we need to understand that Even though we don't see our enemy, even though it might not seem like it's very dangerous to not listen to God, it is. It's very dangerous. It can hurt us and it can hurt others. And God wants to protect us from that. And that's why Peter, and he told Peter to write this letter and tell us and warn us about this dangerous enemy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how we can have fun even when we want to learn more about what it means to be your children, that we can uh, make funny voices and make our best lion noises and remember what your word teaches us, that we need to be careful, that there is always someone who is lurking to uh, help us or to distract us and to make us think that we don't need to listen to you, that you're not the safest place where we uh, need to be. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to be aware And to make sure that we are understanding and be on guard that there is uh, an enemy who is always trying to distract us. Help us to stay close to your word and to trust you, because that is the safest place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've uh, we've come to the last portion of this letter, this very important letter that Peter has written to these struggling churches, these struggling believers in Asia Minor in uh, what is now part of modern-day Turkey. And we've been looking at this letter that is written to believers who are living in the midst of great hardships. We've seen how Peter addresses their suffering over and over again in this letter, that they're facing persecution and suffering on account of their faith in Christ. And Peter wrote his letter to encourage and strengthen them in the midst of this hardship that they are living I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read my Bible, I can be a little guilty of rushing the ending when I get to uh, letters or books of the Bible, because I've spent a lot of attention on the beginning of a letter, I've spent a lot of attention in the middle of the letter, but when I get to the end, I kind of see that it's the end, and I'm ready to rush the ending and get on to the next book. But we need to understand that, you know, in God's Word, the last words are never the least, and the last words are often placed there to linger. Peter wants these words that he shares as his parting uh, comments to, to his readers and to us. He wants them to linger, and God wants them to linger. So I just, before we read our passage, I'd actually like us to just imagine ourselves in their sandals. Just put ourselves in their place and think about you know, what they were experiencing the hardships that we have talked about that they would have been um, experiencing in their lives, and just think about, if you were in that place, what would it have meant to you to receive a letter from Peter? One of the 12, one who is with Jesus, one who has experienced all kinds of hardship, and he's writing so that you would be encouraged. Imagine how desperate we would be to receive a letter like that. And how we would cling and hold on to every word. Especially the last ones. I think it would be good for us before we read our passage to just pause and pray and ask the Lord to help us cling to these words. To not rush the ending but to cling to them and have them speak to us. Would you pray with me? Father as we come to the close of this important letter. We pray that we would be desperate for truth. That we would be listening to every word and phrase. That it would linger in our hearts and minds. That it would cement itself and plant itself and take root in our hearts to sustain us for this season of living. So Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As Peter closes his letter, he closes by impressing, I'm going to suggest three things to his readers and to us. He impresses upon them the importance of humility, the danger of pride, and the promise of glory. Listen to these words of Peter, which the Holy Spirit has preserved to be useful Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, As I said in Peter's closing words, he emphasizes some important things. And the first thing that we see is he emphasizes the importance of humility. We see it in the first six verses. Humility is to be a chief character trait of God's people, even in the midst of hardship. We see this in a few ways. First, we see it in how Peter himself models humility. The culture of the kingdom is not to be domineering nor demanding of authority but rather have a heart for service and we know it's hard to give orders and inspire people it's hard to lead people if you don't practice what you preach and so peter exhibits his own humility in his words as he appeals to these elders he says so i exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Peter refers to himself as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and a sharer of the glory that is to come. It's very interesting. You know, in the beginning of his letter, he introduces himself as an apostle, but here he acknowledges his status and appeals to his authority not as an apostle, but as one who suffers, as one called to lead, as one destined for glory. He sees himself and appeals to, For humility amongst the eldership, amongst the leadership of God's people, as an equal, as one who has received the same grace that they have. What Peter is saying is, I've suffered just like you, brothers. My body is a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Not only had Peter witnessed Christ suffer in the flesh, but Peter himself has taken on the sufferings on account of Christ. He says, I have a share in it just like you. I am an elder. God has placed a call on my life to lead just like you. I share in the glory that is to come just like you. And on the basis of equal standing, he commends humility from them. So we see it modeled in Peter, but then he uses his position as their equal, as their brother, as a recipient of grace to commend it amongst the leadership of the church. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter outlines selfless leadership as opposed to selfish leadership. Leading for the sake of the flock versus the preferences of the leader. And though Peter here speaks to the elders of the church, these are lessons that are for leaders of all of God's people. So leaders in the family, leaders in your small group, there are various opportunities in which God gives us flocks for which we are responsible to shepherd. And so these words, although he speaks them to elders, are applicable to many of us in our walks of life. Leaders should be leading selflessly, not selfishly. This requires great Humility To consider those that you are leading to matter and to be important. And not just that they they matter to you or are important to you. Because the people that you lead, and anyone who has led any kind of people know this, the people that you lead will not always be wonderful, will not always be beautiful, will not always be compliant. Sometimes the sheep stink. Sometimes the sheep bite. Sometimes the sheep don't listen anyone with ha- who's had kids you know exactly what I'm talking about right sometimes your children, your spouse, your small group, your church won't be acting right. And so Peter says humility is what is required of leadership. We have to remember the sheep aren't ours they're his. Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive, the unfading crown of glory. The call to shepherd and lead with humility is not based on how the sheep are behaving, but based on who the great shepherd is and the fact that they belong to him. So elders, leaders, heads of families and households, leadership in the Sunday school classes and small groups, the flocks we care for are not ours. We must recognize our place as under shepherds, of flocks that truly belong to To God. And so to shepherd well, to lead well, we must lead with humility. Leaders, our positions of authority do not entitle us to consider ourselves more or our interests more, but rather less. Peter continues to commend humility, now from the leaders to the, we'll say, followers, those who are younger. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And he says to all of them, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So Peter says to those who are younger in faith and in age that they should be willing to submit to the leadership of their elders. This is a very, very hard thing to do. I just want to acknowledge how hard this can be. How can you trust a leader, especially when they mess up? How can you trust a leader who is not perfect? How do you trust a leader and submit to them when they might ignore wisdom or insight that you try to offer? Enter humility. When leaders are truly humble, they can recognize their mistakes. They can ask for forgiveness for the errors that they make. Leaders must understand that their leadership does not exempt them from owning up to their failures. In fact, it elevates their responsibility to come clean and to own up to those things. How many church conflicts could we have avoided or church disasters could we have avoided if humility was present amongst God's people? When leaders lead with humility, they do not have to fight to keep the respect of those they lead. When someone is truly humble or truly repentant, it's transformative, it's influential. We understand like our leaders are not going to be perfect, but we can follow them knowing that God has elevated and called them to lead, to shepherd. Leaders will do it imperfectly and there will be times where we might think we know better, but we must be careful. Younger folks, people who are following leaders and submitting to the elders in the church, we must be careful not to think that we would do better than a leader if we were in their shoes, that we would be better than a leader if we were in their shoes, and careful not to think that we actually are better than those leaders who disappoint us. God's people got into a lot of trouble when they refused to follow God's appointed leaders. God calls everyone to be clothed in humility here through Peter's words. Peter quotes Proverbs 3.34 as a reminder that God desires humility from his people. One commentator wrote this. I thought it was a, a great summary of humility and the place in the church. Humility smooths the relationships in the church. They can be preserved if the entire congregation adorns itself with humility. When believers recognize that they are creatures and sinners, they are less apt to be offended by others. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. Peter not only commends humility, he not only models humility, but he also encourages that people walk humbly, ultimately, before God. In verse 6 and 7, we hear this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. Peter directs God's people to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Peter's choice of words comes from the Old Testament, where God's mighty hand is what accomplished all that was necessary to liberate Israel from the great suffering they were experiencing in Egypt. Psalm 136.12 reminds us that it's with a mighty hand and outstretched arm that God cares for his people, signs of his steadfast love enduring forever. What Peter means when he gives this directive in verse 6 and 7 is that we are to trust God. To humble oneself under the mighty hand of God is to trust him, to trust His power, and we can see from Peter's words here to trust his timing. Humility, humbling oneself under God's mighty hand, is to trust his power and to trust his timeline at the right time, Peter says. You can say amen if this has been true to your life. If you've been a Christian for a few years, how many times have you found yourself in a situation? where you're thinking, God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? God, why don't you do something? God, when is this going to be over? When are you going to bring an end to this situation? When are you going to make this right? And when you're going through it, you're always looking for the exit doors, but just none of them are open. They're all jammed closed. And then eventually you reach a point after the right time passes, Where you look back on that season and you see his timing was perfect. You see his power was perfect. I'm not saying we get that satisfaction with every season of our lives. But it helps us in those times when we do see his faithfulness. In those times when we can see that his power and his timeline are perfect. It helps us to trust him when those answers aren't so visible to us. That is humbling yourself under his mighty hand. We trust him. And we cast our anxieties, our cares, our worries upon him. Why? We remember he has a mighty hand. He has power and authority over our lives. And we cast our anxieties upon him because we know that he cares for us, Peter says. You see, the danger comes when we don't trust in God's power to be sufficient. When we don't believe that his hand is mighty to work in a situation. That's when anxiety builds. That's when the worry starts to creep in. That's when we try to claim power in our own self and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The danger comes when we don't believe that he cares for us as Scripture says over and over and over again, as the blood of Christ testifies to over and over and over again. The danger comes when we don't trust in his timeline. Enter pride. Not only are we quick to think that we know better than our leaders, but we're actually crazy enough to think we know better than God. Peter impresses the importance of humility Towards the leadership, he impresses the the importance of leading with humility towards uh, those who are, are issues of leadership or uh, positions of leadership, and he also impresses the importance of humility towards our God. And as he does that, he segues into highlighting the dangers of pride. It's after he talks about humility and its importance he says, "Be sober-minded." Right? Be, be clear thinking. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking to someone, for someone to devour. Resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Satan would love nothing more than to fool us into believing that God does not care for us. In the midst of living in hardships, he will do so many things that he can, in his power, to try to poison our thinking and to get us to think that way. When suffering and trials hit, it's very easy for ourselves to weaken in our resolves. It's very easy to begin to doubt God's goodness. It's very easy to begin thinking that there are other ways that we could live. There are shortcuts we could take so that we could have some more comfort in our life and not have to experience this hardship. It's very easy for Satan to get us to start thinking that we might know better to get us to think that we might know better than God or better than our leaders. This is the game that Satan has played since the beginning of time. It happened in the garden with Adam and Eve and it happens to this day it's really all he has to do is get us to think we are a little bit more than we are all Satan has to do is to get us to think we are a little bit more than we are Why are you putting up with this suffering? Why are you putting up with this? You're better than this. You don't need to suffer like this. You don't need to be going through this. Why would God allow you to experience this thing? Doesn't he love you? Isn't he promised to protect you and take care of you? You deserve better. Why are you following them? Why are you listening to them? You're better than them. You've got more experience than them. You've got more degrees than them. You know more scripture than them. Why are you listening to them? They've not been where you've been. They don't know what you know. They won't even own up to their mistakes. Leaders, why would you serve them? They're not thankful for all that you do. They're not bending over backwards to help you like you're bending over backwards to serve them. Why should you continue to lead with humility? You deserve a little respect. Pride. It's the thing that Satan wants to come in and infect God's people with. And he is constantly prowling, looking to devour and feast upon us in our weakness. Pride grows when our dependence on God weakens. Pride takes root and grows whenever we have a distorted view of reality. And pride will threaten every relationship that God is building in his kingdom. Pride is the wedge that comes into or in between relationships. You can remember this because the first half of the word sounds like pry, like pry something apart, which is what pride does. It pries relationships apart. It keeps reconciliation from happening. It keeps unity from existing. Verse 8, he warns, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is out there. He will try to make us prideful. He will try to make us self-centered. He is looking for us at our weakest moments. Peter reminds his readers and us of our great connection. We're not the only ones who go through hard times. Satan's biggest lie is to make believers think that they are alone in their suffering. That God doesn't care that other believers aren't experiencing the same things, that aren't wrestling with the same things that they're wrestling with. And Peter draws our attention to the truth. Other believers are experiencing the same things. We must always be mindful that the world of Christianity, that that being a follower of Christ, the world doesn't revolve around us. We're not the only ones who go through hardships Even today, there are a million and more stories of suffering for Christ that should make us sober-minded and pull us out of ourselves. God's people in hardship, that story is never an, an individualistic reality. We suffer together. Though the sufferings are not uniform, we don't experience suffering in the same ways or in the same degrees, we are united in our calling united in our suffering and when one part of the body suffers we should ache and feel that pain and so we must be aware of falling prey to the devil and his lies just as important as it is to embrace and to live with humility towards one another we must be careful not to fall victim to pride peter then reminds them of the promise of glory in his final words. We see it in verse 4 when he speaks about the chief shepherd appearing and, and elders receiving an unfading crown of glory for being faithful in their calling to lead with humility. We also see it in verse 10. Beautiful words here. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter reminds them, the God of all grace. God is the possessor and giver of all grace. He's the one who called you to be his child. He's the one who will, at the right time, redeem you and pull you out of your suffering and give you an eternal reward and glory. And he gives these four beautiful words, and I'm just going to briefly touch on them. God will restore. He will restore what was corrupted and lost. He will confirm what was promised. He will strengthen that which was weakened and broken down, and he will establish, he will make it last. All those things God himself will do at the right time, in his timing. These are the last words that Peter leaves God's people with. The closing words that he leaves with his readers and with us are not just virtue signaling, right? He's not just talking about a a moralistic lesson or advocating, you know, that God's people will be good to one another. He's trying to leave them with some final words that he hopes will stick, words that are formative for protecting their community and their faith as they live in the midst of hardship. Humility is a virtue that is very difficult to teach. It's something that somebody has to experience in order to be humble. You have to be humbled to live with humility. And so, by nature of that, I would advocate that humility is a virtue that is not so much taught as it is caught. When Peter commends the elders to shepherd in the ways that uh, they are to be leading, the description of how they are to lead sounds like who? Jesus. When Peter tells people to humble themselves towards one another, it again, it sounds like Jesus, who came not to be served but to serve, who elevated the lowest and humbled the proud. When Peter tells people to humble themselves before God, once again, our minds should be thinking about Jesus, who did nothing apart from his Father's will, including dying on the cross. We, as believers in this time, have the privilege of having the full record of Scripture in front of us. And we can turn in our Bibles to Philippians 2, and we can read words that talk about humility and glory, about Christ emptying himself of all his glory and being willing to serve. Philippians 2 says that believers should do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, humility in God's people comes from knowing what Christ did for us. It's what Jesus did for us. In Peter's words, he paid our ransom not with gold and silver but with his blood. He suffered once Righteous for us who were unrighteous, to bring us to God. Humility in God's people, it comes about, it's a a product of transformation by experiencing the grace that God gives. The giver of all grace. I love how John Calvin describes humility in God's people. Calvin says, being emptied of every confidence, in our own power, wisdom, and righteousness, seeing that every good comes from God alone, we have to lose our own glory in order to gain His. And we look to Christ for that model. Christ emptied Himself of all His glory to do His Father's will and received all glory and power and authority. And what Peter is trying to impress upon these believers is our place in glory is reserved for us by the same means, by seeing all that Christ has done on our behalf and taking our place at his side, being willing to suffer for his name, knowing that we will receive glory on account of his name. Peter's ticket to heaven is the same as ours. His love and connection To Christ. It's through that connection that Peter's life was transformed. See, humility is not a virtue we can build up in ourselves. Humility comes from a pouring out of grace in our lives through Christ. And humility is modeled after the likeness of Christ. We look to Jesus. Remember how Peter speaks in this letter of Jesus being our cornerstone, the one in which we align ourselves and measure ourselves. We are built up and built out from Christ. His humility is our example and His Spirit is our strength. Humility really is the secret sauce to being holy. It's the secret to living in the midst of hardships, of enduring persecution because you understand you have received a grace greater than you ever deserved because God has decided to pour it out in your life. Humility is the key to leadership and discipleship. It's the key to leading people and following people. And it only comes by the humbling experience of grace. These are the final words that Peter leaves with his readers until he writes to them again. And for us, what great words to reflect upon in whatever seasons of life we find ourselves in, in whatever positions of authority or discipleship we find ourselves in, as God's children, to be reminded of the importance of humility, to be reminded of the future glory that is to come, to be reminded that we should humble ourselves, trust God's power and God's timeline, and to be very aware we do have an enemy who is prowling and he wants nothing better than to find us in our weak moments and to feast. We need to be aware, brothers and sisters, even in the midst of this time and the season of our country, what would it look like if the church embraced true humility? If we were so saturated by grace that we would lead and admit when we have failed and that we would follow knowing what a challenge it is for our leaders to walk with perfect integrity. That we would understand that we do all these things because we belong to God. How would that transform the culture of the church? How would it transform even the culture of this nation, which many of us call home? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this study and this time that we have spent walking through this letter. We pray, Lord, that it would strengthen us for our walk of faith. We ask that these words would take root in our hearts and bear fruit. Lord, help us to submit ultimately to your leadership as we follow the leading of those you have appointed to guide and and protect your church. Help us to model humility to the flocks and to serve them, not out of selfish gain, but out of our desire to honor and and cherish you. Help us to be vigilant, Lord, to be watchful, to understand in our weakest moments there is one who's ready to feast. Lord, we ask for your protection. Bear us up and strengthen us. Help us to be patient, even in the midst of suffering. To humble ourselves under your mighty hand, trusting in your timeline and your power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Let's continue in prayer. Hear my cry, O God attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We are broken people. We are weak people. We chase after this and we chase after that we long for satisfaction, God, most days and everything else except for you. When the weight of the world comes crashing down upon us, then we think about the Lord. Scriptures say for us to call on you in the day of trouble and you will hear and you will answer. Father, your grace to us is incredible. Weak creatures who can come before you and lay our hearts before the altar, before your throne of grace. So many times over and over and over again in the scriptures, what do we see? We see the people of God not listening. And yet, oh God, you are merciful. God, we come to you this morning asking you to hear our prayers, asking you to heal us, asking you to move us in the direction, of oh God, that is absolutely pleasing to you. Move us in such a way, O oh God, that as we heard our brother preach your great word, that we would be transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. Rather than living in a country seeking what can comfort us most as the church, God, would you enable us to be able to think like kingdom-minded citizens? You are at work in the world today, Lord Jesus. You are absolutely at work. When nations rise and when nations fall, the scripture teaches us God is at work. And your people, God, we are to be shining in these days. We're not to let the issues of the culture continue to divide us, the church. Oh, God, may your word saturate our minds and our hearts, our every single day. God, in such a way that when we go out, into our homes, when we leave our bedrooms, go out into the living room, in the kitchen, when we go out the front door, out into everyday life, to the job, to the grocery store, to wherever you've given influence, we would think and see and treat people as God has designed the church to do. From one man, you made every single kind of person on the face of the whole earth. Every color God made. Hallelujah. We have nothing to be ashamed of. No color is better than the other. God made all things. And we thank you. We pray for not just our country, God. We pray for every country in the world. And my specific prayer this day, God, is that you will cause the church to shine. Shine into the darkness. Cause your people, as Pastor Ryan says, not to think about our own interests mainly, but to consider the interests of others. And not to be so quick to be offended, but to consider and meditate of our own sin against God. And your great grace poured out for us. And Father, I want to pray specifically for people in our congregation today. I pray for Ted and Grace Butler. We pray, God, we thank you that Ted was able to have his surgery. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, the things he's had to deal with after the surgery, that you would heal. Spirit of the living God, would you heal? Would you give peace to Grace as she awaits her husband's return home? Father, for our brother Alan Goldberg, we ask that you relieve his back of this great pain. Relieve his joints of the great pain he's dealing with. We pray, God, that his surgery would be able to happen soon. Father, we pray for Theodore Lawson. We ask, God, that you will allow this young baby still in the hospital to grow. to be strengthened, to get stronger, and to be able soon to return home. We pray your great peace over the Lawson household. We pray for Cindy Crump. We pray for her mother, June, and her illnesses. Father Cindy and her family, they need your encouragement. They need your strength. They need to depend on you, Lord. We pray for Caroline and pray that the surgery she's going to have, God, would be successful. I thank you for Carol and for Andy and their passion for you and their passion, Lord, for the church and the witness of Christ in the world. Heal our sister. We pray for continued healing for Mavis, for Alan, for Robin, for Andrea. We thank you, Lord, that you've healed Cessia and Brian. We thank you that their kids are back with them now. Father, we beg you, we plead with you to continue to heal and give good medical reports for Allison, for Ryan, for Bob, for Sue, for Susan, for Lyndon, for Lyle, for Ruth, for Anita, for Graceland, for Lisa. We beg you, God, to watch over and continue to protect Diane, for Tricia, for Pamela, for Nima, for Timmy, for Elena, for Jelaine, my cousin Stephanie, for all those God working in the health care in these days, we pray for those among us with special needs, we pray for the services to be able to reopen to help them, Father, have great care great love Lord we pray for those who are out of work and they are many in these days father Genesis teaches us that you made us to work not as an idol but to be productive and I beg you God in the midst of COVID which is still out there I do pray you allow it to die off but I pray you allow the conditions Where men and women may go back to work to support their families. We call to you today because we are broken. And we need to be transformed evermore into the image of Christ. Father, we pray all of these things in the matchless name of Christ our King. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, let's sing together, I will glory in my Redeemer.
0: Thank you all for joining us for worship this morning. We pray that you were blessed by the reading of God's Word, by this participation in singing His praises, even though we are apart, and by lifting our hearts to Him, casting all our anxieties and cares upon Him, because we know that He cares through the power of prayer. Next week, we have a wonderful privilege of having our very own David Galetta lead us through the Word of God. He will be our guest preacher next week. So I hope you will join us as we look forward to worshiping together once again uh, through this virtual gathering for worship. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen.
4: Thank you.